Okay, so we are back in John's Gospel. This is our third kind of section, as it were. We've been doing it over three years. And um, as we know, when we're coming to John's Gospel, um, his purpose, his reason for writing the Gospel was that people would go on believing. Go on believing. He's writing perhaps to a small group of believers, and he wants to encourage them. He wants to provide uh, proof for them to encourage them in their faith. Similar to Luke's gospel where Theophilus, he writes to somebody who is a believer, but he says, I want you to be certain of the truth and everything that you've been taught. So he's talking to him. Um, and these men who wrote these accounts of Jesus's life, we would say under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, wrote down what Jesus said and did in their presence. So, um, as we come to John, uh, we've already said he wants them to go on believing. Belief is perhaps one of the most common words that appears in John's Gospel. In fact, in the section we're going to look at now, one, um, it appears, oh, many times, sorry, um, but on average, it's one in ten verses you will find the word belief. And belief is, um, it's not a one-off thing. It's not just something that you, one day you don't, the next day you do, but rather an active, ongoing, daily occurrence. You are believe, it's, it's an ing word to make it nice and simple, okay? It's a believe ing, you carry on doing it. <clears throat> and when we come to John's gospel, it's not like the other accounts. If you read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you'll see it's kind of Jesus did this, then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this. But in John's gospel, he doesn't write like that. He's only covering 20 days of Jesus's life. Isn't very much, is it? But he sets out to prove to the people reading that Jesus is God. He doesn't mince his words. He says it right from the start. This is why I'm writing it. And he uses eight miracles to prove his point. He says, I'm going to show you eight signs that Jesus did, okay, that are proof that he was not just a man. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't a lunatic. He wasn't just uh, some kind of magician. But these prove that he was and is the Son of God. And then in John's Gospels as well, you get these massive sections of Jesus' teaching. And we're in one of those right now. Okay, 90%, interestingly, of the work that you find in John's Gospel, you won't find in the others. So it's unique, it's interesting, and it's special. The other thing about John's Gospel is the language it's written in. It's so simple, apparently, if you are a Greek scholar, which I'm not, that a seven-year-old child could have read it. And yet John's gospel has tied theologians in knots for years. And that's kind of what you hope for when you come to something, isn't it? You can understand it straight off. My house group, I remember the first time we sat down, that's the time we started John's gospel. They read the first few chapters 
and all looked at each other and went, what the heck was that was about? (laughs) Nobody knew. And that's the beauty of John's gospel. In this section we're coming to, um, it's a huddle. Okay, We like the word huddle these days, don't we? They're huddling. They're totally huddling. Um, And it's the last section. John invites us in. We're kind of listening in to Jesus' final words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. Okay, And some of the stuff he said, he said it to large crowds, but he says it again now because he wants them to remember it. And he also gives them a chance to ask some questions. Because let's face it, it's simple, and yet it's confusing. Now, when we came to title this, we called it the briefing, okay? Um, A briefing is a place of information, orientation, and preparation. And this is very much preparation for the journey that they're about to take. The journey they've been on with Jesus and walking with him is going to radically change in just a few hours' time. And that's because, for all intents and purposes, they're going to be on their own. Jesus is about to leave them. And throughout John's Gospel we've been reading, it's not the time. It's not the time. It's not the time. They couldn't arrest him. It wasn't the time. But now... Jesus is very clear. It is the time. Okay? It's all going to change now. You better put your seatbelts on because it's going to get messy. <laughs> so, in John thirteen thirty three, he says, I'll be with you only a little longer. Fourteen twelve, I am going to the Father. So what now? Well, let's read. We're going to read um, John 14. So if you open, if you want to follow in the Bible, you're really welcome. Some key verses are going to come up, but at the same time, I'm not going to put everything up. And it's John 14, and it's verse 15 to the end. And you find it on page 1082, 1082. So it's not a massive section, but it's a fair bit to get our teeth into. So... I'll just read it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, And I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let's leave. Or let us leave. Okay, so pop that on your knees. Now, it's just exactly as I said, isn't it? Simple but confusing. Let's just get on with it. (laughs) So the first thing you notice, very first verse, is these words, if you love me. Now, Jesus could have used, he could have said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a Christian, but he doesn't, he uses love me. If you love me, love, love, or loved nine times, just in these short verses. Love is a huge theme of John's gospel. Uh, God's love for the son, God's love for us, our love for God, our love for the son, blah, 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 in, in, in. It's all a bit like this, isn't it? And it was in that section. Here, Jesus is contrasting very simply followers of him, not followers of him. That's all he's doing in this section with a lot of this going on. Followers of him, not followers of him. It says, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at what does it mean to obey Jesus' commands? Because this is something that we trip up on and people that maybe don't follow Jesus would also trip up on, okay? What does it mean to follow Jesus and obey his commands? Well, firstly, we want to make clear that keeping commands does not equal love. Okay? They are not uh, in the sense that one will result in the other. You need to be clear on that. Doing good works, doing the right thing, keeping a list of rules does not mean ah, God will love you. Oh, God loves me now because I am a really nice, moral person. And that's something we'll trip up with again and again. In the Bible, it talks about the rich man. He came to Jesus sneakily. He said, I've done everything that I meant to do. I've kept the Ten Commandments. I am a good person. But Jesus said, you lack something. You lack something. Being good, a nice person, will not make you a true disciple. 
In uh, John chapter 6, it says this, and this is the New Living Translation, because I think it makes it nice and simple for everyone. Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And that can be painful, can't it? When I'm talking with people, they just say, well, does that mean that what I've done, I've done all these good things, does that count for nothing? Because that can feel like, well, I might as well just do whatever I like. Stuff it. Doesn't count for anything. And I say, you know, God loves it when we're kind to people. He loves it when we love. It comes from him. But it won't make us right with him. Why? Well, let's look. Very simple thing that we show on an Alpha course. If you imagine that there is here is the worst person you can possibly imagine who has ever lived. Put that person in your mind. And here is the most lovely person that you can imagine who has ever lived on the earth. And then you put yourself in amongst it. You know, you might put yourself here. You think, oh, I'm not actually very good. You might put yourself here. I am a super-duper person. Thank you very much. You put yourself wherever you like. But God's standards is perfection. And there isn't any person who has ever lived, who has ever met the standard of perfection. The standard of perfection is so high we could take it to the moon. And there's only one person that has ever lived the perfect life, and that is Jesus. Secondly, love isn't something we initiate. That's important, isn't it? If you love me, seems to be inviting us, doesn't it? Prove your love to me. Prove that you love me. It isn't our own effort. Love doesn't start with us. John cannot have meant this because elsewhere he writes in one of his letters, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. God's love precedes our love. In Romans, Paul writes, verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love, that is on the cross, that while we were still sinners, while we still had made no effort, perhaps, while we were still a million miles from that standard, while we, whoever we are, whatever we've done, it doesn't matter, from the standard, he died for us. Elsewhere, it describes us as enemies, of God. Might not feel like an enemy of God. Might not feel on his side. Wherever you are though, on this, you're not quite there. You'll never be there. God comes to us. Um, he doesn't say, oh, um, would you like to be a really nice person first? And then I might show you some love. But rather, he loves us. We see the demonstration just of general grace around us, of the sun is shining, the air we breathe is okay. We have life, we have being, our bodies maybe were put together in a certain way. God has shown his love to us. 
God's love comes with no strings. Perhaps the closest we could get would maybe be parents' love for a child. Sometimes we say that this love is unconditional. Hmm. What would your child have to do to make you not love them? Would there be a point? thinking about it. God says in the Bible, even if, even as like your mother might reject you, I will never reject you. There is nothing that we can do that will stop his love. Nothing. In uh, 2 Samuel, one of my favorite parts of the Bible is about David And his son, David's a king, his son has killed one of his other sons. And he's been banished to another land because of this. And they want them to reconcile, to come back together. And the person that comes to speak to the king says, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then there comes this beautiful voice that talks about how no matter what, God makes a way for us to be reconciled to him. No matter what, God always invents, creates, uh, brings about a way of us coming back to him, of being reconciled. Third thing, loving God is not a matter of doing excellent things, but delighting in an excellent saviour. You know, when you come to John and you think, follow my commands. If you love me, you'll do my commands. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? And I bet you that most of you, it's about doing something. But if we look at John's gospel, the kind of moral or the doing comes down to a few things. Firstly, let's see. Whoops, Nate. Um, he says the stuff about, if you love me, love one another. Okay? He gives a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And the second one is to Peter that says, feed my sheep. But what does Jesus actually command? What does he continually, continually beg and exhort and plead with people to do. What is his one top number one command of all commands? Believe. Believe, 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 believe. Believe on the evidence. It says, believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence. Believe the stuff you've seen me do. When the crowd says, Jesus, what must we do to like follow God? He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, to trust him, to believe in the one he sent. The primary command is believe, trust, hold on to his teachings, his promises. How are you doing that? As believers, how are you holding on to the promises How are you growing in that belief daily? What do you do? What is it that you do? If someone said, how are you growing in your belief? How can you hold on to what you're believing if you don't know what you're believing? 
You know, maybe you're the sort of person who, on your phone, you've got a verse. Maybe you're the kind of person, I've got a friend, she keeps like little notelets. She's got like a pad and it's full of the promises of God that she's memorizing and learning daily. Blah, blah, blah. She can. So that when she's in a situation, she says, no, I know that God says. Maybe you're the sort of person that has a verse on your wall at home. Maybe you're the sort of person that um, has stuff on the fridge. How are you getting the promises of God in here so they can come to here? What activity are you doing there? Trust me. The other commands Jesus gives are follow, receive, abide. And we're about to hit that next week. Abide in the vine. Sit in me. And he talks about if your words, if my words remain in you. We'll come back to that next week. Ask. That's another one. Ask. Can you see how the primary commands that Jesus gives us are not, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, and then I want you to do this, and then I want you to do this. But actually, they're all about trusting him. They're all The primary ones are about, I want you to have faith in me. I want you to trust that I've got good stuff for your life. I want you to trust that you can walk with me. I'm not going to let you down. I am there for you. Do you actually believe this? I want you to believe that I am the maker of the universe. I can move mountains. I can part seas. Do you believe this? That's what he wants us to believe. To love is to delight in what he's done for us and all that he has to us. It talks about to know the height, the depth, the breadth of the love. Imagine it. Once you fill it up. Fill up with this. Believe. That's why I guess when we start our prayers, and Ian Thompson talked about it um, maybe last summer or summer before. They blur a bit. But he talked about how he started his prayers with exhortation, just talking about the value of the God he's praying to. Because it gets your head in the right place. I want to just honor you this morning because I know, God, you've got the whole universe. Because you're saying out loud, aren't you, a belief in who he is and what he's done. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're starting from a belief of who it is that you're talking to and engaging with. And when I, I don't know about you, but when I, you'll look at it and you'll find different ways. But when I look at it, I feel freedom from guilt and freedom from exhaustion about what I'm trying to do for God. He says, I don't want you to do, just sit down and believe. Just trust me. Believe me. Just relax, chill out, put your feet up, Louise. It's okay. And from that, we can get on. Ephesians 1, 1 to 3, Paul starts with, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And he goes on to talk about them. Blah, 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 blah. And he on and on. In fact, doesn't even catch a breath. He just keeps going because he's so excited about who he believes Jesus to be. And if you, I know most people will be a heartbeat, but if you do, if you do house group as well, which some people do, that's what you're going to be looking at in your house group. So we live in this cycle of deepening love. And like, this isn't perfect. Sorry about this for everyone who's wrestling with it. But let's just go with it for now. So it comes from God loves us and lavishes himself on us. 
And as a result, we love and obey God by believing and receiving all he has for us. And as a result, God loves us and he lavishes himself on us. Can you see how it's a cycle that God wants to fill us entirely with who he is? So what's the result? That's the result. We'll do this quick. Jesus will be with us forever. That's result number one. Verse 16. Jesus promises here that he will ask God the Father to send another helper. And here the NIV uses advocate, which means that it's a legal term. You come alongside someone. It says, I'm going to send someone who's going to come and be close to you. They're going to be on your side with you. And his name, the Spirit of Truth, the NIV helpfully tells us, is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth. The third person of the Trinity. Jesus tells us the Spirit's going to help us. Going to be with us forever. Really helpful, as he just said, I'm going. I'm going, but I'm going to send someone else. It's all right. And they're, they're not going to leave you. And Jesus explains the link between him and this other, another person in the second half of verse 17. It says, you know him. And this is the clear bit, isn't it? For he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 18. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not abandoning you as orphans. I, I will come to you. It appears this new advocate is Jesus, but different. Confusing? Yeah, imagine being a disciple. (laughs) The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, as much God the Father as God the Son, and yet different, will come and teach and remind And when we become believers, we receive the Spirit. You might have had the most amazing experience in the world, whether, I don't know, Jesus appeared in front of you and the lights lit up and angels sang in heaven. You might have had that. You might have had nothing. But it's one of the things we believe. It's a promise. You believe in Jesus, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And this is not not the same as, you know, being regularly filled or experiencing or counting the Spirit. That's something different. But you have the Spirit of God in you. Jesus is with you if you believe what he said. If you believe that he died on the cross, you believe he was the Son of God, you have the Spirit. Uh, okay. And number two, we're invited when we start believing. Remember, it wasn't initiated by us. We didn't start believing because we got up one morning and thought, I know what I will do. I will believe God. No. It's all come from him first. We're invited into the love and fellowship of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. You know, Jesus was saying all that stuff. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. But he says here, we will be in him and he in us. He says on that day, speaking of the resurrection and and Pentecost, he says, you will know, you'll realize, it will all make sense to you at last, that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, I'm in you, you're in me, blah, blah, blah. This kind of... very confusing. But if you think about it, just think for a minute, the concept of the God of the universe, and he invites you. Imagine here is his exclusive holy huddle. There's the three of them. And he is going to invite you in. 
what can you even begin to say? Our house group last week, I was just like, I, it's just too, it's too much. I, how can that be possible? I try to think of an example. I couldn't even get close. You know, it's like the queen, you know, what would it be like to invite it into a holy huddle? What would that look like? What is someone who is so other than me? I couldn't even get close. So the holy Godhead, the Trinity itself, invites you in. I don't even know what to do with that. And what does he say? That the people who love Jesus, we will come and make our home with them. We'll come and dwell with them. So in the Old Testament, of course, we had the tabernacle, didn't we? We had a tent. No one could, you could go so far. You go in the outer courts. Then if you're a priest, you could go into the next bit. But then there's the Holy of Holies, the small little cube. No one can get in it. One person goes in once a year. They've got something tied to their leg in case they die. They're in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of the living God. We've got God on the mountain. You touch the mountain, you die. So holy, so removed, so other, so dangerous, and yet so loving. I was watching Narnia last night with the girls, and it was like, you know, he's not a tame lion. And then Lucy goes, but he's good. And that's it, isn't it? You know, when, um, you know, when she questions him and the lion roars, I was like, ooh. I was having a little cry, actually, if we're honest. But anyway, I'm not the only one, I know. <laughs> but here we're invited into Godhead, and he dwells in us, in all our mess. And we know on that thing, we're just, who am I? Who am I? I'm nobody, absolutely nobody. And yet God lavishes his love and chooses to live in me. And then finally, we will know true peace. Verse 27, we're promised shalom. You know, and often when we think of peace, we think of absence of war, but that's not what it means. It means completeness or wholeness, to be full, to be a whole, to be a human being fully how you were meant to be, what you were created to be. We know it can't mean absence of war because Moses blessed the people before they went to war. Peace with God means we're no longer enemies, but it also means his presence is in us. We are complete, whole. Nothing we can ever desire or chase after can truly fill us. If you think of just some of the things we might chase after, we might chase after material blessings. But we know in this kind of sickness that we might often buy stuff we don't even need or even want or even like. Because they're not really filling us. We might chase after relationships. We might have the best relationship in the world with our partner. It might be a great marriage and you delight in it. And people often say, you complete me. But is there a part that isn't quite complete? Is there those moments where you doubt? Maybe that's why so many marriages sometimes struggle. Because you're looking for that person to complete you. But the only place we'll ever be complete or full 
is by allowing Jesus to fill us with his peace, his completeness, his wholeness. He created us and made us to be complete with him. So peace can be found in all walks of life. You might be a prisoner. You might be in an abusive relationship. You might um, experience loss, dreadful loss. You might experience rejection. But here he says, don't be troubled or afraid. God is with us. You know, when we were singing, God in my living, God in my breathing, God in my crying. Because in all those experiences, we can know the peace of God. It doesn't mean those those experiences are nice or joyful or we skip around going, I knew the peace of God. No, but we can still know that we are totally loved and made whole in him. You know, those times it's difficult for us to believe that Jesus is enough. That's where we fall down. We doubt that he will be enough in that situation. Is he enough? Right there, right then. You know, when Paul writes about it, he says, I'm convinced that nothing in all creation, blah, 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 will ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ our Lord. It comes from his belief that nothing can get in the way of that peace with God, that wholeness. That completeness. I was thinking of that song, you know, that old song, It Is Well. How's it go? I don't know. <coughs> I can't even get there. But anyway, with my soul. <laughs> and, um, but it's talking about no matter what happens, it is well with my soul. I'm going to lose this, it is well with my soul. This has happened to me, it is well with my soul. This is not working out right now, it is well with my soul. I really love that. It is well. So we love him because he first loved us. And our part is to believe. And the result? More love. More belief. More completeness. More wholeness. Let's pray. God of the universe, how is it that you even notice me? How is it that you would lavish such love upon me? Jesus, we pray for us as we sit here. You know our situations. You know the difficulties we face, the struggles, the loss, the confusion. Help us believe that you are enough for us. Jesus, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've sent. And we welcome your spirit again.
to fill us once more. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.